harassing the shit out of everybody. Good. And I have How 30, many? 35 videos. That's awesome. So far. How long is it going to be? People have never seen this. Not not Some people have never seen this side of me. The harassing side? Uh-huh. They just see the really amazing debater. Not debater. What do you... The amusing what? arpeggiator. The amusing arpeggiator. <laughs> um, so you leave today. Yeah, yeah, I leave today for my parents' house. Are you still doing the trips where you have to go at night so that no. the twins can fall asleep? No. 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 Okay. We are we are too we've we've become too old for this. And I'm not <laughs> saying we're old. I'm just saying we've gotten too old to drive at night. <laughs> like our bodies oh and God. our bodies it is now a it is now a hazard to be on the road for us too late at night. That would make sense. I have a very hard time. As soon as like when we're driving to Montana, as soon as mm, yeah. the sun starts going down, I'm I'm done. Oh I'm done. It's just like it's on not on my way to sleepy land. And then I realize like my eyes, <laughs> I like need like night driving glasses. <laughs> yeah. Because all the lights start blending together. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> like Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. That didn't used to happen. No, it did not. No, it did not. That, luckily, that's not luckily, but that's been happening to me for some time now. So I'm kind of used to that piece. But yeah, um, I just, I, I, we can't do it at night. I can't manage to, I'm no, I'm no use. Um, plus then we have to get there and they're sleeping. So then we have to wake them up. Uh, we're talking about me driving to my parents' house in NorCal from SoCal with my three-year-olds and in the car. So, Which you've done since they were little and oh, you had to kind of learn. I've been driving up. Worked. Yeah. I've been driving up there. I mean, we drove, we drove with them to Idaho. God, what a rookie mistake. <laughs> That's the trip I'm thinking about. Oh, what a rookie mistake. We drove with them to Idaho when they were three months old. Cause we were like, there's babies. They're sleep a lot. And, <laughs> um, Oh my God. They were they were getting baptized in Sun Valley, Idaho, and uh, we drove to meet family there, and because we don't carry all the stuff, which you know is valid. They had so much crap, and but it was like sixteen hours. It was way longer than it should have been, and sixteen hours, mm-hmm, and it should have been like twelve, and because uh, the traffic was heinous, and oh. they screamed. For like four hours the way back. Now, and mind you, I don't blame them for screaming. I would have screamed if I had had to sit in that car seat to, for that long too. But there was nothing I could do about it. And I almost had a full-blown panic attack several times. So anyway, it was quite the experience and a rookie mistake. And I, I literally, we got back to our house and I said to Dak, I was like, I'll never be doing that again. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you did not have a full blown panic attack, I have to hand it to you because I, I, well, feel like I okay, okay. Up. So let me, let me just say that I, I'm making myself sound too level headed. So we were almost home and we get to Riverside area. For those of you who know, it's like just into like right before you're going to head into Orange County where we live. And <laughs> we're like, Home, you know, we're in the home run, home, home stretch, and you know, it's but we're about to be there. And we 
um, and I'm, you know, looking at the the maps, right? Like just like counting down the mileage and we come to stand still traffic at night. Oh, stand Like no. one of those like, like construction accident, oh. like every possible <laughs> scenario. And I start panicking and telling Doc to the you started yelling and saying like, cause the kids are screaming. I'm like, you have to figure out a way to go around them. He's like, what do you mean go around them? Where am I supposed to go? This is not an off-roading vehicle where this is a minivan. And I'm like, you have to figure it out. You have to figure it out. And I'm freaking out. And I start like, we well, need to drive over the traffic. So I start screaming to drive over the traffic. So I don't want to sound like I handled it really well. Cause I, I, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I did. I eventually calmed down because there was nowhere. Oh God. For us to go, despite my desire for my minivan to suddenly become a monster truck, that did not happen. Oh, that's pretty unfortunate because I would have paid great money to watch that video if that would have happened. Oh, yes. I would have so paid I had great money a, for that to happen. Like This is why I'm like, I, I cannot believe you made through this or made it through that. So we used to drive back and forth to Montana a lot. I had a horse that I'd rescued who was up there. My sister lives up there. And so we we would literally go like once a quarter. And so we got used to driving because I had, you know, I always have a dog and we bring the dog because the dog is our baby as your dog is your baby too. And so it's just the three of us and it's just me and my husband in the front seat. And then the dog gets the whole back seat because she's a princess. And we were coming back, I think, it was the day after a holiday. It might have been the day after Thanksgiving or something like that. We hit Vegas and there's standstill traffic coming out mm-hmm. of. Yep. Where is it? There was some hotel that, like, we hit. It was we passed the strip and it's standstill traffic. And I'm thinking there's got to be an accident or something, right? So, first 30 minutes go by and, you know, it's fine. And then my husband's like, map it, look it up. We realized there is standstill traffic all the way home, all, all the way home. And Vegas is like, you know, four hours drive from Orange County where we live. And I was like, I think I was telling myself, this isn't real. About an hour and a half in, when I realized we'd crawled about six inches, (laughs) I, I lost, I had a lose it moment. I was trying to sleep. We were like, okay, well, we'll like just switch off every couple hours, you know, just because we can, we're in standstill traffic. And I like sit up and I, I just, I absolutely lose it. I don't remember what I was yelling, but I think I was yelling that like, I can't do this anymore. It's time to turn around. Let's go back. We'll just stay in Vegas for the night. And he's like, honey, like I, there's nowhere, like where are we going to turn around? We can't turn around. Like we're stuck. This is it. Like if you have to go to the restroom, then jump out and go on the side of the road. We're like, this is it all the way home. And I just flipped out. I just flipped out. Mm-hmm. I was yelling. I don't remember what I was saying. I remember the dog sitting up and looking at me like, oh, you're she like, you're not well. it. <laughs> and I think, I, you know, you just need to get it out of your system. And then there comes some sort of acceptance. And then I just was like, I just laid down and I was like, no, oh, this is our fate. We're going to be on the road all night. And it was a seven hour drive home. Yeah, I want to show you this. Um, our listeners can't see, but you can describe it for them. So this was, luckily I didn't have kids yet. This was a trip back from, this was on the 15. This is how standstill traffic it was. That is me doing a plank on the middle of the 15 freeway. Oh my gosh. Next to an 18-wheeler. That's how standstill it was. 
<laughs> I felt the need to do a plank. Oh, no. That's when planking was really, that's when planking was a thing. And I felt like it really needed to happen. So yeah, it was so standstill that we literally got out of the car. Nobody was moving. And I planked on the 15 freeway from Las Vegas back to Los Angeles and next to an 18 wheeler. Oh my goodness. Okay. You win. <laughs> well, you win just because you had three month old twins. No, no, no. That was not then. Oh, that wasn't then. No, this no, no. This was, this, time. this was, oh yeah. Yeah. This was another time. This was a, a, uh, this actually probably was an Idaho trip, not a Vegas trip. I'm not sure, but it was the I-15. It was the I-15. Let's see what year was it? It was 2014. Yeah. So just, uh, to, I, I'm just relating that I understand the standstill traffic on the 15. <laughs> uh, we definitely, I think. It's not we, even a crawl. No, it just doesn't move. Just like. A, like, how does that happen? Not, like I, I have a picture of me laying on the freeway with all the cars there. We need to put that in our Instagram stories so people can see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I felt very proud of that. But I also <laughs> was very alarmed that I was like, okay, so. <laughs> this isn't moving, like not at all. Yeah, Real the good. tangents that we get on, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we don't plan this ahead of time. We're just like, oh yeah, hey, how are you? What's going on? Oh, freeways, freeways. We live in Southern <laughs> California. We shall talk about freeways at all times. Any kind of traffic talk is pretty much small talk in California. It, it is. It's in. If anyone has ever seen, you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. A Saturday Night Live skit, which is fabulous, called The Californians. Yep. It painfully accurate. Yes, absolutely true. Painfully accurate. Talking about, well, how'd you get here? What did you do? And then, which is honest to God, a conversation that we have. And, and actually, a friend of mine who lives, so we, my husband and I used to live in LA. I I went to UCLA and, um, and then we moved back to Orange County where we lived before that. And, We went to a birthday party in LA and with a bunch of our LA friends and we got there and the first, I started laughing thinking of this, the first thing that happened, we was at a bowling alley. We walk into the bowling alley, it was my girlfriend's birthday and the first thing we start doing is talk about all the different ways that we arrived to this place because... <laughs> The bowling alley, it was, you know, the shishi bowling alley. Yep, there's such a thing in Venice Beach. And we all came from different parts. Uh, you know, we were the only ones from OC, but everybody else came from the valley, came from Silver Lake, came from, you know, so we literally, I, like it, it, it occurred, all of a sudden I look around, I'm like, oh, we we all just talked about the freeways we took here. Like <laughs> genuinely interested in the actual traffic routes that we all took. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you want to hear the best part? It took as long for everyone in LA to get to where we were, regardless of actual mileage, as it mm-hmm. did from for us from Orange County. And you just said the exact reason why I never moved to LA to try and make it as a dancer. So here's the thing about LA. And then we can move on from this topic, but just want to say this. And I bet this is the same anywhere you go. Here's the thing about LA when I lived in LA, and I always tell people this. You design your life around the traffic. Now, that sounds terrible to most people, but if you do it that way, it's not that bad because you don't have appointments at XYZ time. You create everything that you do right around where you live. So I lived on the west side, west of the 405. So I did not go 
east of the 405 unless that was absolutely necessary. <laughs> so I, you know, you keep your world actually really small and the traffic isn't that bad. It's when you venture out of those things or you don't plan that kind of thing. That's when it gets super crazy. But you, it's wild how you adapt to that. Now, when I go back up there, I usually am not planning and I'm totally taken off guard. So it's kind of a show, but you do, you do adjust. Although one time it did take me two hours to get one mile. Yes. Yep. That would happen whenever. So I used to drive up there weekly to go train at up in North Hollywood, which is like North Hollywood's like North of downtown LA. If you're not familiar, that's where all the dance studios are. That's where like Burbank and the production studios and where a lot of shooting happens. So that's where all the, the arts and dance training happens. And I remember I took a class. My last one was a 10 o'clock class. It went till 1130. I'm thinking I'm going to skate home. Like it should be super simple. Oh yeah. Oh, I've, I know exactly. Yep. I don't think I got home till one thirty or two. Oh, oh, have you had the situation where I have hit stand still traffic at three in the morning? Stand still on the freeway. I was like, <laughs> There's no, I have photos somewhere of time stamped showing. I'm like, I am in standstill traffic. It is three in the morning. I just need everybody to know. I honestly, how is it possible there are this many people out? But yep, but there are. And yeah. you're right. That they was say the perfect- New York is the city that doesn't sleep. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> That's definitely LA. Well, before coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. I don't know how it is now. I know everybody's just <laughs> living in their bed. In their Everyone's like, this is great, actually. There's like no smog. Yeah. Well, so we are reviewing Alyssa Rocco and Ben Moroski. 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 I was listening. Oh, I wrote something down from Alyssa's. Oh, a good news. Alyssa is doing well her butt cancer update on her butt cancer. It has been removed and she... Without major surgery. Without major surgery. So she kept her bathroom privileges, as she called them. And uh, and she's doing well and she moved to LA. Yay! She is now discussing all of her traffic routes. <laughs> she is. And, she if is. She, and if she isn't, she will be soon. <laughs> so whenever all this lockdown stuff, you know, decides to... Mm-hmm. And we are going to have Alyssa down to our podcast booth and oh, that'll be really fun. Have a little fun mini reunion because you know we we interviewed her right before she'd come out to California to get her treatment. Yeah. Um to get to get checked and to get her surgery. And then she just we were like, Oh, hey, are you checking in with her? Are you still out here? And she's like, Oh yeah, I actually decided to move out here permanently. And we were like, all right. That's, that's how it happens. That's how they get you. Come out for that butt cancer. Stay for the sunshine. And so we thought that was so amazing that, you know, we got to record her as she's in the middle of dealing with this, you know, health crisis and then getting the good news afterwards, right before we, we recorded the after the episode. So yay. Yes, 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 yes. If anyone sends well wishes or, or, or um, you know, congratulations to Alyssa, we will pass it on to her. Yes, please. So, yeah. So, let's see. A couple things. Uh, what stuck out for you? Well, Alyssa, first of all, she's her outlook on life and just her positivity. <laughs> she's so 
she's another one of those people who's just raw and real and and told from a very honest standpoint her dishonesty with herself. Um, I thought it was really interesting how, you know, she's another person that talks about having an addiction to sugar as well. Like mm-hmm. she craved sugar. She loved sugar. That was her first love. She would sneak. She would hide sugar. Candy bowl girl. That. Yep. Candy bowl girl. That was such a great. I love the so cartwheeling home and the candy falling out of her pockets. Like she'd steal <laughs> the candy and then she'd cartwheel home and then leave a little trail. <laughs> you know, you can't let that stuff fly out of your pockets. Yeah. It's, it, that's the candy, man. That's cool. She, she meets... It's interesting. I have spent, I've been to a gazillion treatments and the, um, and in my early days, the treatment centers I went to were, I was put in with a lot of young girls and the anorexic women, the anorexic girls, whatever, whatever they were, whatever we are, whatever you want to call us, they all met, they all looked in terms of like criteria and personality, all of that. They looked exactly like Alyssa. They were dancers. They were super high performing perfectionists. They, you know, grew up in a lot of chaos and they drank, but they drank in a way that attempted to be very controlled. And it was funny because she was talk. she talked a lot about how anorexia was that that this deprivation mentality permeated the rest of her life as well this like this kind of lacking joy lacking pleasure all this stuff and i was re-listening to the episode thinking a lot about that and i said this in the in the uh, in the episode but just talking about how like the reflection of my addiction and the reflection of her addiction was this idea of scarcity, right? Her idea was creating scarcity, living in scarcity. There's only this much. I'm going to, I'm just kind of, hers was like, I'm going to live in this state of scarcity. So I don't need too much. I don't take too much. I'm in control. And mine was, I'm living in a state of scarcity. So I'm going to take as much as I possibly can right now because it's going to run out, whatever it is, insert whatever, and it's going to run out. There's never enough. And her response to there's never enough that idea is to take as little as you can and i thought and we were talking she was talking about how like the deprivation of joy and pleasure and i was yeah, I was laughing to myself like oh i'm a i'm a hedonist like it was it, <laughs> like my reaction was just to scoop up and do and be as as chaotic and so like i was thinking back to the girls that i knew when i went to treatment who were anorexic and, you know, and, and I struggle with compulsive, um, and binge eating disorder. And, and I was thinking back like the difference between us and what our alcoholisms and our drug addictions look like. And I like everything about me is all of those things. And everything about them is all of those things. Like everything about them was tidy and clean and tight and perfect and all those things. And everything about me is loud and chaotic and as much as humanly possible at once and as many drugs and as much alcohol and take it to the limit. And I just was laughing like, oh, it, it's really, it really is like a, once again, you know, we, we, we label alcoholism or drug addiction. I'm a meth addict. I'm a this, I'm a that, we, whatever it is. We label it by the substance, but it has. it's not the substance. It's the interaction with the substance. It's more like I'm an indulger. I'm a restrictor. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I just cannot, even though the mentality is all about scarcity, there's never going to be enough. 
right? Right. The approach to scarcity. It's a scarcity mindset. And she said this, I live in scarcity. It's a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. But the approach to scarcity, you know, two sides of the same coin. And I thought, wow, we spend so much time talking about addiction as whatever the substance is, the food, the alcohol, the drugs, the sex, the gambling, whatever it is. And, you know, gambling is the one place where my scarcity mindset leads me to... So this is my interesting thing about gambling because we we just interviewed a bunch of people surrounding gambling addiction. And so I've been thinking a lot about it. And I'm gambling terrifies me. Terrifies me. I have so much anxiety in a casino. So funny. And I win $5 and I'm like, I'm walking, I'm walking. And like, don't want to play anymore. Now I'm sure if I press my luck long enough, that probably I could probably change that around. But that I like, I'm so... It so freaks me out. And... So, but the reason it freaks me out is because I'm afraid to lose. So like if you take five, my, my mentality around that is if I have $5, I could go buy $5 worth of stuff and know exactly what I'm going to get. Right. Mm-hmm. But, if, right. but if I bet $5, I could win $5. I could have win 10, you know, $10, whatever, whatever the your odds are, or I could lose and have zero. And so because I think that things are always going to run out, I don't ever want to take that risk. I want to consume exactly what I have immediately. So I don't want to bet the $5 and not consume it. I want to consume, like spend it. In this case, consume is spend. So I don't want a chance because there may be no more. Whereas if you're a gambler, there's a whole other mentality like, yeah, but you could have more than you have now. And I, right. and my mentality is, it's still scarcity, but so, but pretty much everything about my personality with regard to the indulgent or the, the restrictor, right? You're still getting high. It's still coming from a place of scarcity, fear, all that stuff. But everything about my personality is like, let's do it hard and fast and ext- extreme now, 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 because it's going to run out. And hers, mm-hmm. everything about her personality was like, calculated and and um perfectionist and clean and tidy and neat and controlled mm-hmm. and so interesting to hear how the misery is the same like it's the same misery even though yep. she, what she looked like right she's like i'm climbing the corporate ladder i'm you know maintaining a low body weight regardless of how she's doing it i have a boyfriend i mean i can't i can't show up to an appointment to save my life. Half the time, and I mean, this is frankly probably still true, but half the time when I was using, I didn't know what day it was. (laughs) Like, I didn't. I really didn't. I really did not know, let alone the time. I was not clear as to, you know, sometimes I wasn't clear as to where I was. So she's describing using, like her, what it looks like when she's using. And I'm thinking like, lady, I'm I'm trying to do that now. Like, like, You know, I mean, it's just funny, right? Like, I'm like, how does someone, alcohol, you know, food addiction, whatever, function? She was a freaking life coach while she was drinking. I mean, she ended up getting fired. But, like, I just, it's so funny to me how she could feel we could have the same feelings and my disease could play itself out so differently. So, I mean, let me just tell you, there... I mean, she, you know, her camouflage, she was able to camouflage to be a life coach. I can't name a scenario 
where someone would want be, me to be their life, would have wanted me to be their life coach. Even if you were a drug addict, you probably didn't want me to be your life coach. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone... You mean you shouldn't have been a life coach when you were using Oh my God. I, yeah, but I mean, some people would have been concept. like... Some people would have been like, teach me your drug ways, right? Like, teach me oh, how you I do... You saying. know what I mean? Like, they would have right. been like, you know, induct me into your lifestyle. No. So you're saying there is nothing. There was no coaching. Someone else- no one wanted my coaching about absolutely anything. <laughs> Zero expertise. Not even in the thing I was an expert in. I was still a hot mess, you know? I and it just I hear these people describe their experiences, but they're describing the same feelings. Right. I think that's really interesting what you're saying. I mean, first of all, like you guys both talking about the misery and using, and it's interesting to think that with severe restriction and also with, I'm going to get everything that I want right now because (laughs) I mean, we're, we're a right now society. Yeah. I mean, who who doesn't want everything right now? I do. I want it now, you know, and and I don't want to be patient, but the exact same thing with extreme restriction and then extreme overindulgence, you get the same misery. You end up in the same, in the same place with the same feelings, with the same self-hatred. Right. Right. Like how could that that is with the same disease, with the exact same disease. Go figure. And, and that to me, that talks about the nurture part, nature versus nurture, right? Whatever you're coming into genetics as well, but then also like belief systems things that you've fallen into. Well, and some, the way that you, some of it's personality. <laughs> and I was going to yeah. say, and some of it's personality, but I mean, it, it's absolutely unbelievable how complex this disease is and how many, I think this describes how it can hit so many people and also how it can hide so easily as well. Right, right. Why you can be like, well, I don't look like that loser over there yet I feel like that loser, right? Like Absolutely. how can it be possible that that me with XYZ success looks like this person? And and that's why, because it just doesn't play out the same for you. It just, that that's the piece that, you know, that doesn't, isn't the same. And it's funny, we literally, I mean, on a regular basis when I was, granted I was a teenager, but when I was a teenager, we had this saying, me and, you know, my revolving door of drug friends had this saying, that I know everyone knows and did not make it up. <laughs> Life's a bitch and then you die. So fuck the world and let's get high. And, <laughs> and, and oh we, we, uh, literally, oh. but yeah, right. Exactly. But the, I mean, we would say, we would just like, that was like, you know, like, how you yeah. doing? <laughs> right. It was like, a, it was a mantra. It was a mantra. Right. And right. that mantra basically was like the, 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 the true underlying piece was life is painful and right. then nothing ha- you know and then nothing happens so let's just get let's just indulge right now and that was the whole mindset right that's the whole mindset like what is this what are we doing here this just this is all painful and terrible and then we die so like let's just in, let's just do what we want to do and that mentality is going to look very different than the very controlled using but again the thought system, the thought pattern, the attempts to change things, the misery, you know, you're getting the same outcome. How how right. crazy. The interesting thing is Alyssa talked a lot about finding her purpose too, you know, being happy in what she was doing. And this is why she ended up with life coaching because this was her way to give back. She felt happier 
life coaching versus climbing the corporate ladder, trying to make something of herself, which there's nothing wrong with climbing a corporate ladder. If that's truly what you want to do, what your life goals are, your intentions, what you believe your purpose is. And I, I, I kept hearing purpose come up and I, it made me think of, I remember back in high school, I, I feel like any time that I've, I've personally felt lost was whenever I lost what I felt like my purpose was why I'm here. Oh yeah. Like why you get up and go through, you know, you can go through all this stuff we go through, right? It, it's because you know that you're living a purpose. There, there's that end. The purpose kind of driven moving, life. The purpose driven life. And I remember back in high school, I, I, I it's so funny because I it flashed back to this memory. I was sitting at you know, one of the lovely lunch tables next to this girl And, um, I remember she was just kind of looking really lost. I wasn't really good friends with her. She was just kind of somebody that I would see in pass and she just didn't look okay. So I walked up and I was like, Hey, you know, you okay. Do you need anything? And she just like looked at me and she's just like looking into space afterwards. And she goes, I just don't understand why I'm here. And I was like, in like lunchroom, like confused, you know, I'm like 16 and she's like, like, how much mushrooms (laughs) take did i i wouldn't have even known i would if you would have handed me mushrooms i would have thought that i was supposed to put them on pizza at that point but she (laughs) (laughs) but i remember like my heart kind of like my i felt like my heart sank into my stomach because at that point i i was i was understanding that feeling but i hadn't like lost all hope and she was shaken, visibly shaken, and just really couldn't, couldn't understand why she had to keep living life. And looking back, I can now see maybe what she was going through or maybe the things she was struggling with at this point, at that point in my life, I didn't have the same perspective I do now, but that always stuck with me. And I feel like Alyssa and, and tell me what you're hearing, but after Alyssa, even though she she became a life coach and then got fired from her job, right? Because <laughs> she's coaching people drunk, uh, which is great. I, I love, love that it. she shared that and she's like laughing about it, which I, makes me just love this podcast and our guests even more. But it was almost <laughs> like she had to Oops. find her... <laughs> Oops, that wasn't a good move. <laughs> even my life coach has to drink around me. <laughs> Can you imagine if you found out? I can hear some. I can hear some conversation between a a man and his wife, right? And he's like, "Why are you paying for a life coach? Like, this is ridiculous." And she's like, "No, this is a really great thing for me. It's very, very helpful." And then cut to like three months later, what happened to your life coaching? She got fired. Why? Well, she was drinking while she was while she was coaching me, and I can just hear him saying, like, in his head, you know, yeah. She had to drink. She had she she had she required a drink to coach you. Mm-hmm. To Sounds coach about right. you. Yep. Oh my god, that reminds me. I told my counselor I'm sorry the other day, and she's like, "What? I'm sorry." And I was like, "I'm sorry. I'm really sorry." And she's like, "What are you apologizing for?" And I was like, "I came back with a lot more crap than before." <laughs> I'm. And she's now. like, she kind of like shakes her head. And she's like, "That's this is my job. Yeah. This is why. Like, you don't come if there's not something to work through." And I was like still, I'm sorry. And she's like, we need to work on that. <laughs> she's right. You do need to work on that. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's totally what it reminded me of. She's like, why are you saying I'm sorry? And I'm like looking around like, because I'm burdening you. And she's like, yeah, like, 
counselor, you weirdo. Oh, my God. (laughs) She's like, oh, dear God. All right. She's crazier than before. But I thought it was actually kind of neat thinking back to all that whole thing we just talked about. That Alyssa actually found her purpose, even though it was a little, you know, well, and her dad, her dad was a death coach, right? Like he, he coached people through death. We didn't even talk about that. That perspective alone. Oh my gosh. Like that, that's just like a, that could be a whole nother podcast is just like that whole topic of death and grief and loss and, and just, just the understanding she had of death, you know, it, it wasn't something she was like scared of, or it wasn't an abstract. It was very concrete for her. Yeah. She lived in a funeral. (laughs) That'll do it. I, I mean, that's just, (laughs) that'll do it. That'll, that'll make it pretty concrete. Oh my gosh. Like, but interesting that it made her more spiritual. I thought that was really interesting. That is really interesting. It kind of reminds me, there's a lot of talk whenever I've read, you know, about like grief and loss about how the Western society doesn't talk. It's like a taboo subject, but a lot of like the kind of Eastern cultures, it's a a huge part of life. It's the understanding of the circle of life and the understanding that it's going to happen. And instead of living life, life. keep going. No, just kidding. Um, You should hold Kingsley up and keep singing. (laughs) I agree with you. And um, I, I mentioned in the I mentioned in the podcast that my sister Marina, if you go check out marinalobe.com, uh Marina L O E B as in boy.com, she has this series that's about death. And oh, it's amazing. really, really amazing. And it kind of and it and it's illustrated, but it she also has this incredible commentary about it, which goes into this exact thing, which is that death is such a normal, <laughs> expected, common part of life. And in our society, we do not talk about it. And so it is so uncomfortable in a way that is leveling to people, where I think in other cultures, you're totally right, where like that there's, because it's a because it's included in conversation and life and it's not every death is not a tragedy, right? Because right. it is honored and it is, you know, whatever, that people handle it better and therefore their mental health is better. Yeah. That's I, the first time that I experienced death. It threw me for a huge loop because it was definitely something that I always avoided. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to think about it. I wanted just to believe that everybody lives long lives and that's it. And, you know, the first time my my perspective got challenged by loss it, it was it was devastating it was devastating to my mental health i i was unable to function quite literally for a couple of weeks at least but i thought for Alyssa, i mean having that perspective she even brings that into whenever they found the mass in her rectum and she's the way she i remember when i interviewed her for the for the prep call you know we we do podcast prep call with all of our our guests just to make sure that everybody, you know, feels comfortable and, and has everything that they need. We talk about what we're going to go over. So we're prepared. And she's talking about this. And I was like, my God, she's happy. Like she's, she seems very okay with this. So I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And right. sending good thoughts your way. And how can we support you? And is this something you even want to bring up? And she's like, yeah, I'll talk about it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. No problem. And I you know, it's not some people don't want to deal with. Right. Well, Cause it's, 
<laughs> and then her humor around it when you guys are going back and forth. Oh my gosh, she's such a neat human. And um, but I I want to kind of circle back to the purpose thing and say I did think it was very interesting that after she found her purpose was whenever she was able to start dealing with her alcoholism. Mm-hmm. That's interesting too. Yeah, that, that was not my experience. I had to do it the other way. <laughs> wow. Well, speaking to the different personalities. Right, right. Like, well, because there was no ability to do anything with mine. Right. Like there was no integration of like a normal life and my using. So right. eventually that probably would have been the case for her. But in the beginning, that's not how she started. Right. So, um, yeah, the, uh, just to piggyback, I found Marina's thing. Where is it? Is it saying goodbye? So it's, it's her What is Life series, marinaloeb.com. And I just want to find this thing that she read. Hold on. I, I feel like the one she has, she has one called Watching People Who Can't Keep Plants Alive Have Children. And I very much feel like that's about me. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, like, I don't have children. Uh, squeeze but... me. Did you make a picture about me? And the no, fact that I, I cannot so... keep plants alive? <laughs> <laughs> I tell people I cannot keep plants alive, but I can keep dogs. Or I yeah. can keep animals alive. And people, I'm, I mean, I've you know, done, I think I've done a pretty good job, but don't give me, don't give me flowers or give me a plant. No, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm becoming that lady who has all the plants in her window that from the vegetables she's trying to regrow. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. It's embarrassing, but um, you are gardening. I am. Okay. Wait, I want to read this to you because she did such a good job with this. Okay. So Marina dot art is her Instagram and Marina com, And it's her grief picture, um, her grief illustration. What is, and it's her What is Life series. What is life? Grief. This piece depicts that weird sensation felt after something terrible happens. Beyond the initial thought, this is not my life. Attempting to wake from the nightmare, there's that naive shock while watching a stranger move through his ordinary day. The mailman delivering the post, someone tending his garden, hearing laughter next door. You can't stop wondering, seriously surprised, how the world keeps going when yours has stopped. The feeling is both of being supremely alive, seeing things remarkably simply, and floating frozen, removed. I've given a lot of thought to the way grief forcefully presents the totality of our own existence in such a helpful way. I think the hard checkpoints initiated by grief provide the better opportunities for folks to develop happier lives. The random timing and immediate devolution caused by a shit event truly sucks. It can ruin good things, be humiliating, etc. But loss clarifies what matters so intensely that the path to living in parallel with our values reveals itself more obviously and feels easier to take than would be without such a catalyzing event. When grief conversely and likely doubly aggravates the desperate, uniquely problematic parts of ourselves, we also get to see the things that hold us back in general the things that we can usually tolerate or hide, but not anymore. I know this topic feels unpleasantly dark, and it is. Real loss is intellectually horrifying, but it's also as natural as birth, though we often feel that death and grief aren't supposed to happen. Many of us in grief are inclined to feel shame around our pain because we see that our dark realities make people uncomfortable, so we hide and pretend, feel weak and alone. 
We become stunted by the event rather than improved and lose connection when we need it the most. To know death and loss is to know what matters. Shouldn't something so natural and consequential have a place in polite conversation? Mm. She summed that up perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I love how she said that we feel like death and grief shouldn't happen. Right. These like natural, these supernatural things that happen. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know that one particularly, I think it's, I, it actually, I know it spoke to a lot of people. I know it spoke to a lot of people when it came out, but I just thought that that was a really good explanation. Like this idea of how, why is something so natural and, and frank, so common? Why can't, how did we exclude it? How did we make it so? And so if we can't talk about feelings, if, if there's a whole set of feelings that are off to off limits, then maybe it makes sense that we've created this, this country, this culture of people who don't want to engage in any conversation that isn't happy, go lucky. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's even something I see kind of in the church world. Like we talk about it a lot is authenticity and I remember being younger and having to go to church and my family is dysfunctional and completely falling apart, completely just ripped apart at the seams. And we have to go to church and smile. That's where we go and we smile. Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Everything's great. My parents are standing next to each other, holding hands. And it's just like a lie. It's like such a blatant lie. And the expectation that that just, that's how we're supposed to do it. Even, you know, it's just, I think it's just, there's so many expectations that just breed that, that thinking. And, um, I'm watching society start to shift with that mm-hmm. now, you yeah. know, there it's, it's Agreed. slow because it's, it's an unpleasant topic, but even with talking about ending the stigma with addiction, people are starting to have conversations that people don't want to have, you know, and, and there's still plenty of, humans out there that don't want to go there, which I understand because it hurts. It's very painful and very uncomfortable, but I think that's where like the community aspect comes in too, is we're not supposed to be living life isolated and without a community around us. And I think that that community of people helps you be able to walk through whatever you need to walk through. And that's when those conversations starts coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I think that makes... Alyssa uniquely qualified to coach people in life, having grown up seeing death the way she has and and having, you know, the spirituality. And then also on top of that, all the struggles. And, you know, I, I just think it was a really good depiction uh, aside from all of the positivity. I think it was also a really good depiction that your addiction, whatever that is, whether it's the sh- anything from the sugar, the anorexia, all the way to the alcoholism, drug abuse, whatever, your addiction your life, whatever, your problem can look uh, differently in a lot of different ways. And if you feel terrible, then that's a problem. And it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. that you're not under a bridge in a gutter. (laughs) Like you don't, you know, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're one of the most successful people on the planet. Oftentimes those people are tortured and it's okay to seek help. It's okay to admit, you know, yes, everything looks great on the outside, but I feel terrible on the inside and I need some help. I'd like to make the two, my inner being and my outer being congruent. And I think that when 
for me at least, when I've made my inner being and my outer being congruent, I feel better. Even if my inner being and my outer presentation, even if it's shit, right? Like even if I feel like shit on the inside and now I'm showing you, I look, you know, I look and feel like shit and I'm saying that, right? Even that level of congruency, I improved because by being authentic that way, I just that act of integration allowed me to improve my life and and my and it gave me the opportunity to take the step into healing take another step into healing right i think that's so great what did you think about ben's episode ben oh my gosh he Maroski. was Maroski. Maroski. he is he's a, such an awesome person as well he, and he's rad um i was really pleased to talk to someone I felt really good about the fact that we got someone to talk in depth about self-harm who did not meet any of the stereotypical criteria. And the reason I feel that way is that it would have been easy to have the conversation with someone who does it with the stereotypical criteria and really I guess, come back to the integration, really integrate the angsty 13-year-old girl or whatever struggling with self-harm. But what I loved about hearing his story was that you can, you you had to take the self-harm on its own. You had to hear everything about the self-harm that also applies to the angsty 13-year-old girl, also applies whatever. But because he did not match what most people associate with self-harm, you had to hear it in a different way. You had to take it at face value. And I thought that was really useful because the reality is here's a, a an adult man whose dad was an NFL football player who's athletic and you know all these things doing these same aggressive behaviors, right? You know, in treatment, even going in the bathroom and cutting himself. And explaining the headspace, explaining what happens. And I felt like because it was coming, it was like the perfect person to say it because I could hear that it was the same, no matter, again, same with the addiction piece. When I hear an executive and a homeless person describe addiction and the feelings and all of it as the same then I can see that it's the same across the board. And same thing Same thing with the cutting and the self-harm piece. When I hear the self-harm piece, which I've actually mostly only heard out of the stereo, kind of the stereotypical background, even, even when it was really severe, it was still, they were still female, so kind of younger, you know, kind of the same stuff, right? But when I heard it from him, I was like, oh, it's all the same. I could hear it. I could hear the same thing, the same reasons, the same experience, the same pain, the same actions, all of it. But it was coming from someone I wouldn't have expected. And so what I loved about that was if you are the if you are female struggling with that kind of in what would be considered the stereotypical self-harm category, you related to it. And if you're a parent or if you're someone who a friend or or a man or whatever. And you don't relate to that stereotype, but you do know someone who struggles with it or you struggle with it, then you can see it for at face value. You can see that it was, oh, it's like, this is what it is. You don't, uh, you don't integrate those two things. And I really thought that that was a 
great place to start. And and Ben, you know, he just was so open and honest and and real and raw without being gory and like he just knew how to express and tell his story in a way that would soften people's hearts, open people up to the topic. You know, I think a lot of people are like it's unimaginable to them. It's not only is it unimaginable to them, but it's scary to hear about. They don't want to hear about it. They don't it's not one of the topics like it's not like people like true crime and self-harm like self-harm is really something people shy away from. It it bothers them deeply. So I really thought that he did a, a a beautiful way of describing with enough detail so that we understood, but not so much to turn people off and um, to really understand the, the mindset of where he was. And I don't understand how I attract all these or find all these people who have been in religious <laughs> cults. I swear this is not something I try to do. I, you do. I just find these people and it's like, oh, and by the way, I was in a religious cult. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> There's so many. Re- I didn't even know there were that many religious cults. Actually, I did not either. I, I thought that cult was just like, it's like kind of, a, there's a few scattered throughout. I did yeah. not realize they can be small individual plate. I, it, that yeah. it blew my mind. I thought one of the really, I love that you said that, you know, just t- self-harm is such a taboo subject. And it almost reminds me of like the ju- juxtaposition between when we were talking about Amy Dresner's episode in the last after, after the episode and the difficulty of being a woman in a sex addiction group where it, it, it basically you only really hear about it touching males. Right. And she's a female dealing with it. And so the, the, the position reminded me the same as Ben, where he's talking about something that really only you don't really hear about this happening with men. The, the, the mentality really is an angsty 13 or 14 year old girl. I I know many who have gone through this, many who have cut themselves. When I was talking with him before, you know, the, the, after the, I'm sorry, the update episode, when I was talking with him before the interview and kind of just getting some notes and timelining, you know, I was like, where did you, where did the idea of self-harm come from for you specifically? Because with a lot of people with alcoholism or with drugs, they watch someone do it. And, and, and it's intriguing, you know, for, for one reason or another, but you know, I just, it self-harm really is. It's like, where do you get this idea from? Well, and I was like, I mean, this is coming from the drug addict, but like, I was like, why wouldn't you use drugs? Like, what, like I, this was a better option. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That, I, I think that's kind of my, never mind. T- I, I, that's but, my feeling about everything. <laughs> but you know, why do I, that I, when you're going to use drugs? It it speaks almost to the lack of pleasure, right? And that personality type. Well, and the control, right? The control, the control, right? Because mm-hmm. you do drugs, and you know, you could have an adverse reaction. You could, but theoretically. I guess you think you're in control if you're cutting yourself or burning yourself or whatever you're doing. The truth is, though, that the addiction gets, it's the same thing. It escalates. It tells you one thing and it does another. It lies to you. It tells you that you're going to get this. Well, and you, and then you do. And it gets out of control the same way, right? Because what, what was a surface injury, you know, what worked as a surface injury initially is now a, 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 you know, an event that requires stitches or medical care or, and he talked about the healing process, which I never, you know, that's the other thing. There's all these different rituals, right? There's lots of rituals in abuse, in any kind of abuse, right? And, you know, if you, if, if you're a smoker, 
God, you know, I mean, I, one of the hardest things when I quit smoking was just driving in a car without smoking. Like I got into a car and was like, oh, please. Like that was so difficult. That was so difficult. Or eating a meal, like you have all these trigger, trigger, you know, events or, 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 or habits or rituals. And it was so interesting to hear and, and all these things that as a drug addict, so that people don't, people who haven't been there don't consider that as like a satisfying, gratifying part of the event, right? When you, you know, you like the preparation of the drugs going to get, you know, there's all these different things that that come into play. And in this case, with the healing process, I, that was something I never, like, I just thought about it as like, okay, you, you harm yourself and then you deal with, you know, whatever, whatever that brings you. But it's not that. It's an ongoing healing event, right? You have to, it's a, it's an ongoing injury and yeah. it's, it's a rehabbing of that injury depending on, the, you know, it, I was like, oh my God, yeah. Like wound so care. Interesting. Just never right. even, I didn't even think of that, of like, what happens in the weeks after and how you, and then, and, and just the whole thing, it was just like, Oh, the complexity and the mindset and the preoccupation. That's a perfect word for it is the preoccupation. It's, it blew my mind, everything that he shared and how honest he was. And like you said, he shared it from, from a standpoint that it really, it, it should help people understand yeah. what someone who's dealing with self-harm is actually what's really, truly going on in their yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was really helpful that way and really helpful that way. And, and, you know, it wasn't clouded by a lot of alcohol and drugs too, which I also think was, um, that was the thing that blew me away the most. Yeah. It was, I, I know I was like, why, I didn't why know, wouldn't you do the drugs? No. Well, and to me, to me, right. From my mind, right. What I would think and what I did think before I talked with him or b- before his interview, I would have thought that the it would have been alcohol and drugs first and then, you know, either one or the other or both and then self-harm because the thought of cutting my skin open is... While you're it sober. Makes, right. While you're sober makes my skin crawl and it's right. like, oh my it's gosh, unimaginable. I, can, I can't even imagine it. Yes. But that's not the case. Right. And I think that was why on on the whole, I think he was such a great, he is such a great advocate for really listening to what people are saying when they're talking yes. about self-harm, like really listening. And, you know, so often we hear like, oh, well, I was in a, you know, I mean, you think about it like, okay, well, they they were drunk and they did this or that, you know, you you right. give people, you give people, you 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 create we all do this. We all create circumstances that we can make our brain understand. Yes. And yes. and so the circumstance where you're just sober and this is an idea and you want to do it and you go through with it, that's not one most of us can understand, right? right. And so, um, yeah, I think that he really, he was really helpful with that and talking about it and talking about how he has integrated back into his life, um, his struggles with it, it, you know, his, uh, (laughs) his, uh, you know, ability to talk about it with his girlfriend and, and, you know, be open and, and his struggles with his family. And, you know, I, I, for me, I thought that the, 
the Instagram, I know this is maybe superficial, but the Instagram thing where all of his photos of him with his shirt off or actually even just not like him at a restaurant or whatever because of all the scars, Mm -hmm. his Instagram photos being censored. Banned, right? Being censored or blocked out like you have to accept them. Just a photo of him. Just a photo of him. And I I don't know. I don't know what I, I'm not I haven't totally digested that yet. Like what does that what do I think about that? But it sparks like I think it's like just you and your experience is explicit. You are explicit. And you you are yeah. you are unwelcome to the uninformed eye. Yep. Like people have to opt into you. And I just was, I I don't know. I just, it made me so, it just, that bothered me a lot. Now, I also understand that, that Instagram is trying to keep people from using, you know, creating positive, you know, positive reinforcement around cutting and self-harm, but, you know, alcohol and drugs are self-harm harm. And, uh, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of self-harm and he's, he's not actually cutting himself. He's, these are healed wounds. And frankly, they don't know whether or not he's a POW, you know, I mean, I think that's what bothers me the most about it. If, if his, if his account showed gory pictures of the act happening of this, the act of self-harm happening, then absolutely block that because that's a glorification of it. But his account, if they look at it, it's so educational. He's not glorifying it. No. He's oh, trying and, to help people understand. And his and, he has and, pictures blocked that are just of him because you can see his hands. Well, ex- and so like, conversely, what, why, why, how, you, just like what you said, how would you know or not know if that's a veteran who had, yeah, those are, you know, shrapnel scars from a bomb I mean, they could have, they could easily be shrapnel scars. It, it, that's what it looks like. He gets, he, I think he even said he, he gets, gets asked, asked all if the he time was in a motorcycle. Veteran. Yeah. If he's a veteran, if he was in a motorcycle mm-hmm. accident, I mean, he could be a veteran in a motorcycle accident and all, and then all his, you know, his scars were, you know, it, it just, it was just so, I don't know. It was, uh, that made me really sad, but he had a really good perspective on it. And, um, and I, what I hope is that his example and maybe even his account will change the way that people decide to view that. And that, you know, that belief system that you need parental consent or that you need a warning before seeing a picture of him. And I, I I just can't imagine, you know, that would be, that would make it tough. That would make, you know, I, I, that is not something I have experienced, but I just, that would, that would, that would, that would be hard. His, uh, if you're curious, um, his Instagram is B Moroski, 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 Moroski. Okay, it's B M O R O S K I. That is his Instagram. You can check it out and uh, see what we're talking about. And maybe, you know, I don't know. If you know someone at Instagram, let them know. We think their decisions are lame. Stop blocking our friend Ben. Yeah. So I wanted to read our friend alone. Okay. Yeah. Or we'll come after you. No, yeah. we won't. <laughs> but we'll be super mad at you. Or we'll say stuff. Um, so I wanted to read something real quickly. Whenever we were asking Ben before the interview, how do we, you know, we want to educate our listeners who want to understand more about this further. 
including myself, you know, including us, because this is not a subject that we like know tons and tons about. So Ben had said that his specific self-injury wasn't or isn't related to trying to find feelings or trying to feel. He said that self-injury is a very slippery slope. It's hard to relate to. It's hard to understand. Alcohol, alcoholism is socially acceptable. People who struggle with alcoholism aren't always seen right away because their struggle, although a form of self-harm, isn't seen as such right away due to the social acceptability of it. Self-injury for Ben was a little bit more tied to like self-discipline he grew up in such a judgmental environment from being in that cult. He was constantly judged, constantly told what to do, constantly controlled. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do that. It was like this, this like sucking away of like, you're not allowed to feel good about things. You're feeling good is bad, you know, and this is what's like just completely hammered into him. And so it's likely tied to that in some way, shape or form, almost like an external form of self-sabotage or that continuance of that behavior where it's like, well, I'm not allowed, not only am I not allowed to feel pleasure, but like, if I feel pleasure, then I have to punish myself for that because that's bad, 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 bad. And that's a sin, 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 sin. And so Ben was thinking, one of the things that he had said was that it's liberating to not be shamed by a behavior anymore. He had that revelation. He was able to choose to do this or not, and it was life-changing. So that's where his, his shift went from, this is something that I dealt with and it's in my past, to I'm going to start speaking on educating people about it, to the point where he... I think he he's a he's a writer. He lives in LA. He's a writer. He's very talented, and he wrote a play about it. And oh, that's um, right. That's right. Yes. And so he we'll put this in the show notes, but he gave us a couple of references basically to to listen to. There's a link to a book written by uh, some researchers who were the first ones to do exclusive research about self-injury. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, Also a link to Cornell Research Program on self-injury and recovery. And then um, he also linked to a Facebook live reading that he did of his play a few years ago on self-injury awareness day. So we want to include all of us in there. And the play that Ben wrote, and you can find it, I think he... I'm pretty sure he links it to his Instagram. If not, I'll ask him and see if I can yeah. link it in there. Um, his play is called A Vicious Minute. And it's, I think it's a one-man play. And he performs it. And and it's literally the story of his life. It's absolutely incredible. Um, he sent us the PDF version so we could read it beforehand. I'll ask him if that's okay to share or if there's a link of something to share. But I mean, just what... It didn't shock me with how amazing of a writer he is and how this is literally his career now between writing and acting and and production, how just how well he communicated his story. What was was the thing he does phenomenal and he does closed caption. There was something ironic about the closed caption. I can't remember what it was right now. I can't remember either, but he does. He does closed captioning, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. And he's just like able to be like his creative self and, you know, continue yeah, I think you Continue have just growing. You have to get someone who's obedient to do closed captioning because can you imagine if I had a closed caption job for the news? No, no, that's okay. No, that's okay. No. Like you no. have to have someone <laughs> who follows the rules and is obedient for a closed caption job. Like this is just occurring to me because I oh would have a field day with closed caption. I, Let me say I'm, this. I'm I'm feeling so much excitement <laughs> right now just talking about it. I feel like I just about to say that. 
so excited. You're so excited. <laughs> about this idea. I feel like I Can almost we... want to download the news and do my own closed caption to it. Maybe we should do that and then put it up as like an Instagram oh video. That that'd be so much fun. Are you actually like there's like you're I'm, turning I'm, red. You're I'm, so excited. I'm like teary. This is such a this is brings me such joy. I really actually I've decided this is my new. Oh my god. That would be so funny. I I I don't even need an audience for that. I could just do that on my own and crack myself up. That's my own joke. Oh my god. Yeah. I yeah, that you really need someone who's on point for closed caption in that way. So they they got a good one. They got a really good one. I feel like if I did closed captioning, my focus only stays for about 40 45 minutes max. I usually have to kind of do the quintessential get up, walk around, mm-hmm. walk outside, think about something else, eat yeah. something and then come back. And then you've got me for a solid 40, 45 minutes again. The, the news isn't feel like if, that long. Or well, if, it, if he's closed captioning, I don't know. I don't watch it anymore because it makes me depressed, but Next, if you're closed we have. anything for like longer, I feel like the, the horrific thing that would happen for me is there'd still be a program going on and I would find myself staring out the window do, do, and then do. realize I hadn't typed anything for five minutes. The, <laughs> Fired. <laughs> no, Noelle would come type on the keyboard. She'd come and she would steal my keyboard. She'd come grab something from off the desk. Be like closed captioning. Which provided by. Do a, <laughs> ask your business. You've asked me there. My dog. <laughs> ZZZZ. Z, Z. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed interviewing both guests. I think they're amazing. And uh, hopefully our listeners felt they were helpful and that everybody is hanging in during this quarantine in California. We are still quarantined. I know a lot of places have a bit more, you know, open, they're a bit more open and uh, people are doing things. So wherever, however you're, you're doing this COVID-19 deal, I hope everybody is, uh, is okay. Yep. And if you're in Texas, I am very jealous of you right now. <laughs> My mom was able to go out to a restaurant for her birthday. Oh, wow. I know. I'm I, just like, I want to wear one of those social distancing hats with the pool noodles. Did you see <laughs> Did you see the, the restaurant yes, that makes people Germany. put on, that makes people put a hat on that has a pool noodle, like sticking Doesn't it out have like, like a full pool like noodle? Two of them? You yeah, know, it has it a has couple like of them. It's like a helicopter hat. Yeah. It looks like a like a court jester, but yeah. like a giant one. Or you're a, heli- a, a propeller. Cafe in Germany or something. I was like, can I just get one of those? And I'm going to come home and fling my head around oh and my God. smack whoever's in my I just was way. like, I just want to go for the hat. I just want to <laughs> sit there and wear that hat with everybody. Well, I'm sure plane tickets are very cheap right now. So they're not go to Germany. They're, they're not. No, I I looked at some and then I found that I, they're booking flights like crazy. Ugh. It's because they've reduced the amount of flights, so they're booking. Uh, hence why we're driving. Yeah, that makes sense. Goodness. Okay, we'll have a very safe and non-eventful and short drive. That's what I wish for you. Thank you. Me too. I <laughs> and I hope there will be no freeway planking. <laughs> if there is, call me and I'll. Like, I will. I don't know. I'll, oh, we could set you up. Bring your computer because if for some reason you get stuck in anything, then we can do like an impromptu. Um, what were we just talking about? Closed caption session. Oh yes. <laughs> I will be. Wa- I will be working on my closed captioning. 
Oh, yeah. Stay tuned for more. <laughs> so excited right now. Awesome. Well, you guys have an amazing week. We have an amazing episode coming for you next week. Hint, it is not one guest. It is three. Oh, shoot. Yep. And that's all I'm going to say. It's an awesome, awesome episode. We recorded it not too long ago and really wanted you guys to hear it. Yes. Oh, Um, should I? One more thing before we go. If you are looking for, we found two, I found two companies. They're, they're, they're not, um, sponsoring us. They're not sponsoring us. Just FYI. I found two companies that are, that are really rad. They have really rad recovery stuff. One, if you're looking for sober recovery birthday cards, uh, there is an Etsy store called Recovery Papery. Recovery Papery. I knew you were about to sing that. Recovery I knew that. I felt it coming. Papery. I am a recovery papery. Okay, anyway, uh, they have all different types of... Uh, they have all different types of cards for all different years. Anyway, really cool. The other one is, I found this, is the mocktailclub.com. Oh, neat. Yes. Looks real good. I haven't checked the ingredients. It's probably a lot of sugar. But <laughs> they send you mocktail club com and they have really beautiful mocktails that are in like alcohol bottles. Now, if your sobriety is questionable and you're kind of like, this is a struggle for you, you know, this could be a trigger for you. I highly suggest not doing it. However, I thought this was pretty cool. They make these really cool alcohol-free cocktails with all sorts of superfoods, pomegranates, cranberries, blackberries, antioxidants, caffeine-free, tea-infused with spices, such as cardamom. And, um, and, uh, they, anyway, it looks really delicious. That's all I'm, I'm going to say. They have Capri Sour, Bombay Fire, Havana Twist, Manhattan Berry. So anyway, it These looks great names, right? And, yeah. and their pictures make me want to drink them. Num, num, num. We'll have to try them. Yeah. So, uh, Mocktail Club and Recovery Papery. <laughs> Recovery Papery, if you are listening, Ashley would like to compose and sing your theme song. Recovery Papery on Etsy.com. Get your recovery cards on Etsy.com. Recovery Papery. This is too good. We just got to keep this all I'm. I've been drinking a lot of black tea. Black tea. Yeah, by itself. So I guess black black tea, nothing else in it. Well, in a cup, no cream. Oh, no, uh, tiny bit of oat milk, nothing else. Nom, 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 nom. That's what I have in my coffee. I've been having coffee, but I haven't had enough this morning. Well, I took out sugar and flour from my diet, so uh, <sighs> that's what I, I need know. to do. That hurt everybody deeply. <clears throat> I well, I didn't want to say it. I know it's it's, it's, it's upsetting for people to even hear. It's but, uh, so anyway, I have fun detox. Oh, <laughs> it's a special detox. I suggest doing it on a weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, I am detoxing, uh, <laughs> fully, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, so it has no sugar or flour. <laughs> <laughs> 
in case you put flour in here. I don't know. Uh, shoot. I should stop. I know. Flour I know. It. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a, it's a tough habit to kick, but you know. I have to tell my husband. Listen. It's better without the flour. The big, the big book has a story where a guy puts whiskey in his milk, so you never know. Uh, whiskey uh, and milk doesn't chemical wise, wouldn't that just like that? They both just not. They don't. It doesn't mix. Whiskey listen, and milk. when you're trying to get a job done, <laughs> trying to get a job done, you just you just got to go for it, right? That's what Ban said to me. I was so everyone Ban McDermott from you know she did a, a follow up, an amazing follow up episode at the end of season one, and she her, you can hear her full story on season one episode two. She's a good friend of both of ours. Fat, like phenomenal friend of Ashley's. They have like family ties and and community. It, it's crazy. Their story goes like way, way, way back. It's really cool. But I was asking her some some. I don't remember what we were talking about. I had to call her for something for work, and then I said something like, "Oh yeah, that was my favorite story of you know that you told when you were you know you filled your coffee cup uh, or your coffee tumbler with vodka." And you're driving back and forth to work and just the normalcy of that. And I just laugh because it's just like, oh my gosh, this is the insanity. And she goes, oh no, no, it wasn't vodka. It was rum. And I like, I'm like gagging because rum oh, is just brutal. <laughs> like brutal. It's, it, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I go, I go, oh my God, ban rum. How did you do it? And she looked at me and she goes, oh no, I didn't like it. It was for the effect. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, the effect produced by like, alcohol friends. Oh, yeah. That's good reminder. Yeah, yeah we're trying right. to get it. We got a job to do, people. Right. She's like, no, I wasn't like sipping and enjoying it, Christiana, oh, you crazy oh, person. Yucky. She's like, I was trying to get loaded. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. That's right. Good. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Have you ever had gold schlager? Probably not. I once got so drunk, I tried to pick out the the gold flakes out of all out of a bottle of gold schlager. And if any of you know what gold schlager is, you know how difficult that was. Um, how did that go? Not well. And uh, and then because uh, if you're drunk enough to think you can pick the the flecks out of of gold out of gold schlager, then you're pretty. Then it's not going to happen for very long. And then what was the other one? Oh. I don't like spicy food, and I once drank a bottle of <laughs> jalapeno vodka. And oh. let me just tell you, that was a special, special day in hell. Is that like one of those things? This is going to be TMI, but I'm kind of TMI. I have no uh, idea like how it. I don't specialty. Know, I have no idea what happened it, on the other end. Burn that you knew that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, burn I mean that's the obvious. Burn going out. I don't remember. I'm. So absolutely zero recollection of all I remember is going in <laughs> <laughs> the effect yeah exactly I, I really else. only try to be aware at the moment of entry <laughs> other than that this is, this is a, this is a else check out matter. this is a checkout kind of restaurant if you know what I mean <laughs> Recovery oh, papery. <laughs> so, do they have any on Etsy.com? Do they have any like um, recovery papery? We should make a line of inappropriate recovery cards. Oh, a hundred thousand percent. We need to talk to Marina ASAP. Congratulations on not 
your whole life up. <laughs> I think that's a great one. Congrats. Okay, so I, I want to make a card that says congratulations for doing what everyone else already has to do. <laughs> congratulations for re-entering society. Congratulations. I always think stuff like that, like, God, isn't it cool that I get a card for being mm-hmm. normal? I get a I get a card every year that says, "Thank God you don't drink, because society is a safer place without you drinking." We are so grateful. We're going to give you a card <laughs> and a chip. Recovery papery on Etsy.com. Hope we're not ruining this company's reputation. Recovery papery. Where you can get sober birthday cards. Happer. Happer? Gift wrapping available. Returns and exchanges accepted. Exceptions may apply. From recovery paper. <laughs> so just a little insight to everybody who's still listening to our podcast. Yeah. If you I'm really far, sorry if you're still listening. Congrats. You're you're one of the OGs here. But uh Ashley Uh-oh. has this. I've no awesome. idea. I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> awesome. Awesome way of Uh-oh. annoying her family. It doesn't annoy me. Oh. I think it's very hilarious <laughs> by singing. Honestly, I think it's Things kind of a nervous hit at this point. <laughs> nervous. I think it's <laughs> Fabulous. She will just start singing things like this. And it it just it drives her poor family crazy, but it's hilarious. Oh, I, oh my gosh. When I was, anything to you. When I was a teenager, I used to every time it didn't matter what I was doing on the toilet, but whatever I was doing on the toilet, I would sing at the top of my lungs, Figaro. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. So can you give us a preview? Uh Figaro! <laughs> Figaro, Figaro, Figaro! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all you get. That is all you get. Is, I'm I recovery papery. <laughs> I can't. I can't. This is too good. I don't want to end the episode, but we have to. <laughs> we have to end because i got to pack my circus into a minivan and van my circus up north. Okay, well, have fun. Be well. Short travels. <laughs> Real short. Even if the, this is where I learned to meditate, I'm like, this moment in time will this be over soon. <laughs> this is from Recovery Papery. I'm going to email them and let them know that their, <laughs> their new theme song is waiting. Yes, exactly. Or after the episode. I like to drink oh. my mocktailsclub.com with my recovery papery. Okay, listen, uh, for all of the producers out there and record labels that want to sign me, send me your proposals. <laughs> I'm like, what's coming? What's coming next? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for my okay. I'm ready for the big screen. <laughs> you got your you got your mic. Got my You're mic. Getting your, your closed captioning on now. Yeah. You're you're just in Hollywood now. Here we go. Call me Cartier. If it actually happens, I'm going to cry laughing. Get it? Cartier? No. Cardi B, Cardi A, and Cartier. Oh, okay. Now I get that. I am both an amazing rapper, liquor, and 
High-end fashion jeweler. Cartier. Liquor? Yeah, Bacardi. Oh, Bacardi. <laughs> oh, boy, people. Oh, boy. I need more coffee. You, we are recording you need, in the morning. You need a, a, a help in pop culture. <laughs> See, this is why I always say that people are like, oh, my gosh, you're so cool. You dance. You do that. And I'm like, I really am super, super uncool. Very uncool. The dancers that I'm around, they quite simply make me look cool every once in a while. I am uncool. I am boring. Just wait till I, you become a mom and you have a oh minivan God. and you sing about recovery on a podcast. Recovery paper. Recovery paper. On Etsy.com. <laughs> yeah. Then, you, then you'll feel the cool breeze on your neck. You're the cool. Oh you're the coolest God. cucumber there is. <laughs> oh my God! Been hit by a cool tidal wave. <laughs> I don't want a tidal wave. Of course, I want a tsunami. <laughs> yeah, well, can't help you there. <laughs> okay, everybody, have an awesome rest of your week. Stay safe. Be well. See you next week. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.